God we serve. And I love being able to get the people of God together, singing the praise of God. There's just nothing like it. The only thing better is when we are in heaven together, and we're going to be singing 10,000 times 10,000 people all together with one mighty voice singing praise to our God. There's going to be nothing like it. If you don't enjoy singing to the Lord now, I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. I don't know. I feel bad for you. And, you know, that, just make your, you say, I just can't sing very well. Have you been listening to me up here this morning? It, it, you just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You just make it work, and that's a good thing. All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13 this morning. Mark chapter 13. We've been going through the book of Mark now for a long time. You say, how much longer do we have? I don't know. We still have a while to go. We've got to get through chapter 16. On Sunday nights, we're going through Romans we've only got two weeks left in Romans, and we went through the entire book. You say, how long did it take to go through the book of Romans? A year and a half, two years, somewhere around that time. And so this morning, though, how many of you like studying Bible prophecy? If you like studying Bible prophecy, would you raise your hand? How many of you would say dates and that stuff, I just, it kind of puts me to sleep sometimes? Anybody? Be honest. Okay, so some of you raise your hands there. Okay, we get that. I see you. I see you. I hear you today. So today you're probably going to take a nap today, I guess. And I don't normally, I don't normally on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday morning I don't normally do more of a teachy message. This would be more of a Bible study this morning. But I believe that if we pay attention this morning, that this will help us and help you understand biblical prophecy a little bit better. One of the things that you can figure out very quick about biblical prophecy is that there is stuff all over the place, and it spreads everywhere. And some, you know, literally you look at it and you're like, okay, that makes some sense. And then someone says, this toe in the book of Daniel represents this. And you're like, I don't know how that toe represents anything right there. You say, a toe representing something? Yeah, if you don't get it, don't worry about it. That's fine. We're not going that deep on things today. If you could understand this morning this little bit of, I'm going to talk about, it's really the backbone of biblical prophecy. This is, it's not going to be, super detailed, but detailed enough to help you kind of see how everything is set up. Because this is what happens. You can go online, you can read lots of different opinions by lots of different people. And you can even see I the college I went to and I graduated from. The pastor there, he wrote a book, Let's Study the Revelation. I have it in my office. You, I could listen. To, he, he passed away in 2001, Dr. Hiles. But he, um, he said years later, that he wished he never would have wrote that book. He wrote that book when he was a young pastor. And reading the book, I can see why he wished he never would have written that book. I would say there are several of his books that I love. That's my least favorite book of his. And it was his own least favorite book of his own book. And sometimes we get thinking we got this all figured out. At the end of the day, you're never going to have it all figured out. So don't try and figure it all out. Know what you need to know, and then tell someone about Jesus. And live for the Lord today and live in light of his return. He could return at any moment. Live life expecting the Lord to be returning. That's the best way to live. So, because he's going to come. The thief in the night, the scripture says. He is coming. And so, just live your life ready for him to come. I mentioned last week, our four children. William, we had the bag packed by the door three weeks before he was born, and we were ready. Well, we thought we were ready. I was ready. We are, we are ready. Alyssa, no bags packed, and she came three weeks early. 
Threw us for a little loop right there. Get to the hospital, thought she was a sick, and little did we know, she's having contractions. And because of that, had the baby the next, literally about 10 hours later, and I had to run home and get a bag of clothes. And when I got back, Alyssa was getting ready to be born. And so it was right, and I'm like, man, if I could have just been gone an hour longer, I could have just seen the baby. Uh, no, anyways, anyways, we'll drop that there and not go deeper into that. It's, it's hard on the dad going through, going through labor. It is. And ladies, if you've never experienced that, you just don't know. And I'm, I'm teasing. I would say this. Just relax, ladies. It was just a joke. It was just a joke this morning, okay? There's not much joking in my message, so I had to get that out right now. But if men had children, there would be one in every family, and there would be no more. That would be it. You, lady, you ladies are tough. I'll say that. Very tough. And, uh, Caroline, she might be smaller than me. I think she's tougher than me, and I... I'm scared of her sometimes even not this this case. But anyways, we were not quite ready with the second. But when it comes to the Lord returning, live your life ready for him to return. That's what we need today. We look at our Bibles today, Mark chapter 13, one verse we're going to read, and then we're going to go to Daniel in a couple minutes, and we're going to park on those two passages today. Mark chapter 13, read with me verse number 14. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Now last week we started looking at this passage, and we've been going through, and we look at this time in Mark. We're on Tuesday of the Lord's final week. He's about ready to die the next day. So he's already entered in Jerusalem on Sunday. He's been in the temple. And now they had, the disciples had left the temple. And they told Jesus, look at these beautiful buildings. One of them told him. And Jesus said, guys, not one stone's going to be left of this temple. And then privately you had Peter, Andrew, James, and John say, Lord, when's this going to happen? And the Lord never tells them when. A lot of people want to know, when is this going to take place? That's not for us to worry about. No one knows the day or the hour. The Lord does. And when he is ready, this is what I know about the Lord. Are you ready? Ready? He's never late, and he's never early. He's always right on time. So at the right time, he is coming. Say, well, I think the right time's right now. You and I aren't the judge of what the right time is. And we should be grateful for that. He knows the right time for everything. So he's always right on time. So Jesus goes through and he tells the disciples, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. You're going to be persecuted for my name's sake. There's going to be earthquakes in diverse places. There are going to be a lot of things that take place. These are the beginning of the labor pains. This is the beginning of that time. And we see, so, and this is where some people get off and they say, well, as the church and as Christians, we're not going to, it doesn't tell us where we get taken out of this. And the rapture takes place. What we see in verse 14 is, we see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, a lot of times when we think of biblical prophecy, we like to go to the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is full of biblical prophecy. One of the problems you run into, and like I said, this is more of a study today than a preaching message. 
you want to hear a preaching message, come back tonight or come back next Sunday, Easter Sunday. You'll hear more of a preaching message than today. But this fits right in line with where we are in this passage. And so the book of Revelation, it covers lots of things. And in fact, if you were to start out, the first three chapters talk about different churches that the Lord wrote to through John. Chapter 4, John was taken up in the Spirit to heaven. Pictures the rapture. It's a clear picture of it. Talks about what takes place up in heaven, and we're worshiping God. Chapter 6 talks about someone riding on a white horse. But the one riding on the white horse is not the faithful and true one of Revelation chapter 19. The one riding the white horse in Revelation 6 is the Antichrist. And he comes, and we see what happens during the tribulation time. The problem is, people get all confused about what this is all about, and so Daniel will tie it all together for us. If you leave here with more questions than answers this morning, I'm sorry, okay? I'm not trying to do that to you. If you have questions, you can come see me, and I'll try and answer those for you. If you leave that meeting with more questions than answers, then I will find someone for you to go see that will help you with all those questions and get you more answers. But we're not going to go into super great detail. We're going to give the foundation, the backbone of biblical prophecy. The book of Matthew says the same thing. When you see the abomination of desolation as spoken by Daniel the prophet. Daniel has a lot of biblical prophecy found in it. I tie Daniel and Revelation together on a lot of things. And in fact, you want the foundation for biblical prophecy? What did the Lord do? He went to Daniel. So I think the best thing we can do is do what Jesus did here. Go to Daniel and see what Daniel has to say. Daniel chapter number 9. Daniel chapter number 9. The faster you turn there, the faster we go home. The slower you are, the longer we stay. I see some of you like flipping quick. Some of you already had it there. Daniel chapter number 9. Look with me in verse number 20. And whilst I was speaking and praying, this is Daniel, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. Just a side note, I mentioned this last service and I'll mention this again. You see that Daniel, he was praying and talking to God. He confessed his own sin he also confessed the sin of the nation that he was with. When's the last time that you, as a child of God, and an American at that, confessed the sin of America to God? You know, Nehemiah did it. It's mentioned several times. It is a good idea. Uh, sir, what? Oh, yes, sir. I thought you said sir. I'm like, oh, no, he's going to cut in. And what's he going to say? No, so, yeah. okay, that's good. No, yes, sir, that's good. I like that. Amen. I get that. Yeah, that's good. You're scared. I'm like, that's not John. John wouldn't interrupt me right in the middle there. What am I going to do if he interrupt? Yes, sir, I got it. Good. Whew. You say yes, sir, all you want. I like that. Or amen is good, too. Those are good, too. Yeah. All right. That's good. That's good. I totally lost my train of thought right there. Confess confessing the sins of America. How about the sin of California? Let's be honest this morning. And I know people don't like talking about sin, but sin is what put our Savior on the cross. When our governor promotes to other states that are against abortion and other things, come to California because we want it here. 
Where are God's people on their knees before God begging for God's forgiveness for this state? Just a thought. You see, though, he confessed his own sin, and he confessed the sin of his people. Just a thought for us there. As he was confessing his sin and talking to God, look at what happens here. And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Verse 21. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, comes, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. What was the angel coming to do? To give him skill and understanding, to help him understand some things. So it says, At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, you got to remember, Daniel's still in Babylon, right? Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. The streets are a mess. The walls are destroyed. There is no temple at this time. So it says that when the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem under the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, the streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week... He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. The abomination of desolation, right here. Even unto the consummation, and the determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. I need your help this morning. I know this, to some, is exciting to look at and study. And I know all Christians love the thought of your coming. But I also do know that there are many Christians that when you start breaking things down and look at dates and look at a few things, that gets a little harder for them. I pray that you'd help us this morning. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would guide my thoughts and my words this morning, as well as the listener, and you would guide us today. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There are many people that don't like the book of Daniel. Non-Christians, of course. They don't like a book that had prophecies. You realize long before Jerusalem was rebuilt, there's prophecies here that Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. The wall's going to be rebuilt. The streets will be rebuilt. And many will say, the many critics of the book of Daniel, will say that Daniel was probably written five or six hundred years later, even after Jerusalem was destroyed. 
They say that because they don't want to give the Bible credit for what it says. They don't want to give Daniel credit because no human could supernaturally say and predict what was going to happen without the help of God. And so they say it wasn't written that long ago, and some people want to discount the book, but it wasn't that long ago that they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in those Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a manuscript, the book of Daniel, from at least 400 B.C., at least, before most of these things ever happened, the book of Daniel, word for word, was pinned. I didn't need to find it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I believe it's God's word from the very beginning. But what man tries to discount, God's word is always true. And this prophecy is fulfilled. But you've got to understand something. This prophecy is not completely fulfilled. What we talk about here from the book of Daniel, written probably some 25, 2600 years ago, long time ago, is still unfolding before our very eyes. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, you better go hide yourself in that day. What is this all about? We're going to lay the foundation for biblical prophecy, and then we'll be done this morning. If you got your outline there, we're going to start out with number one. Number one, the period of time. The period of time. We're just going to read the verses here, and we're going to just break it down is all we're going to do. And so it says 70 weeks are determined. The period of time is 70 weeks. Now, when you think of weeks, you think of how many days are there in a week? Seven. If I were to say a dozen, what number do you think of? If I say a baker's dozen, what number do you think of? Thirteen. I like baker's dozens at the donut shop. That one extra donut there. Still kind of pay for it, but anyways. We could look at another passage of Scripture. The, book t- the Bible tells us in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verse number 8, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years. And the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Now, when the Bible mentions, go back to the, t- the period of time, if it, was liter- it wasn't literally seventy weeks. It was 70 weeks of years. And later on, I could break that down a little bit better for you. But for sake of time, you don't want to be here till tonight. How many, anybody want to stay till tonight? No one's hand. That really hurts my feelings. I thought someone would want to. Do you want to stay with me here till tonight? Thank you. At least my wife said that. That's good. I got one person. And she didn't really mean it, but she said it. 70 weeks of years. The period of time that all this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. 70 times 7 equals what? 490. You add the zero at the bottom, 7 times 7, 490. Or you pull out your smartphone and use the calculator there. You can get it either way. 490 years is the time period of this prophecy. Number two, who are the people? Look at what it says there in verse 24. The 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Well, who was this written to? It was written to Daniel, right? Thy people. Who are the people that are mentioned there? The Jews. God's people. So this prophecy, and this is where some theologians and Christians get off, they think that the church has replaced the Jews. The Jews have not been replaced. The Jews are still God's chosen people today. Now, they must get saved just like anyone else. 
That doesn't, and you know, Paul wrote about that. Then what advantage does the Jew have? Well, God gave them his word. His son came through their line. The Jews, they are God's chosen people, like it or not. And people have tried for a long time to exterminate the Jews. Going back to Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Syrian armies, Rome, Hitler. And yet we see today there is a nation formed again after they've been scattered, been brought back together. So the prophecy has to do with 490 years and it involves the Jews. Number three, the place upon the holy city. The holy city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem matters in these things. And as we look at this, and when we think about those things, the Jerusalem, there is no place like Jerusalem. I want to go there someday. Anybody in the room been to Jerusalem? Yeah, jealous this morning, jealous. I'd love to go someday. It's amazing that a city in the middle of that area there is talked about so much on the news even still today. If that city didn't matter, why is it always talked about? Why the fighting that goes on in Jerusalem? Jerusalem matters. And in fact, we think about someday there's going to be a new Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem's an important city. So as we look at this and break this down, we see that there's a timetable, 490 years for the Jews in Jerusalem. Number four, what's the purpose what is the purpose of this prophecy? Why does this prophecy matter? Well, there's five reasons why, hence the fivefold purpose of it. So as we look, let's look back at the verse there. It says, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So what it's a, what's the purpose? Are you let, ready? Letter A. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sin. Why is this prophecy so important? This prophecy, everything hangs on this prophecy. It's a big one. Because when man entered into the world, shortly after that time, man sinned. And sin has been in the world ever since. You know what's wrong in our world today? Sin is what's wrong in our world today. Why people do the things that they do is because man is desperately wicked, the Bible says, the heart of man. And we are sinners today, each and every one of us. The best of us is still a bad sinner. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. What is the point of this prophecy? To finish transgression and to make an end of sin. This prophecy has to happen so that transgression's done. So that sin is finished. Aren't you looking forward to the day where there's no more sin? I am, aren't you? Hey, in heaven, you're not going to have to lock your door. If you have a car up there, you're not, you can leave the keys in it. No one's going to steal it. You can leave your money sitting out. No one's going to give you a hard time about in heaven. Why? Because there's no sin. So this prophecy has to happen to end sin. That's big stuff. Letter B. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Well, this prophecy, not only does it have to be fulfilled 
to end sin, it's what reconciles us from our sin. That's why the Messiah is mentioned in it. Because the Messiah, the chosen one of God, has to shed his blood to make us right. So this prophecy is big because it ends sin. It reconciles for iniquity, letter C. It brings in everlasting righteousness. And without Jesus Christ, we could never have that everlasting righteousness. Because I could do something good today, right now, and in five minutes I could do something very bad. I am not righteous. My righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. So, and that we think about those facts. When God looks at me today, he doesn't see Brian in his sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But this prophecy had to be fulfilled to bring in everlasting righteousness. The Messiah, as we'll look at in a minute, had to be cut off. And not for himself, but for me. So that I could have everlasting righteousness. That's what this prophecy is all about. Letter D. It's to seal up the vision and prophecy. It's to end the book. Hey, if this doesn't happen, the Bible can't be finished. The prophecy is not going to be sealed up. The vision's not done. In order for the Bible to be complete, this has to happen. And that's why all these things haven't happened yet. They're still coming. It's what we're looking to. The blessed hope that's still coming. But what is the point of this prophecy? To seal up the vision of the prophecy in letter E. To anoint the most holy. We think and we celebrate Palm Sunday today. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few days later, crucify him, crucify him. He's not our king. We have one king, his name's Caesar. This is the same people. But someday, every knee's going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday we look at this abomination of desolation, and someday the Antichrist in the temple is going to claim to be Christ. It's not going to go over very well. It's all Satan's ever wanted to be God. It's what he's wanted. But someday, faithful and true is coming. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. And then forever and ever and ever. Say, why is this prophecy important? Because without the, this prophecy, it's calling for an end to sin. It's calling for all these things, for reconciliation from iniquity. It's calling for everlasting righteousness. It ends the book, it brings it all to a close, and it puts Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's why it's so important. That's why the end times is so important, because it all fits in there. So, we see the timetable, 490 years. We see the people, the Jews. We see place, Jerusalem. We see the fivefold purpose, which leads us to our next point. The program. How is it going to work? Now, as I said, we don't have everything figured out. But the Bible, what was this given to Daniel for? To help him have skill and to understand. And you say, well, I want to know more. That's the thing. Do you know God gives you all you need to know from his word? He does. But I want, you don't need more. 
He's given you everything that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, perfect unto all good works. He's given you everything you need in his book. You need nothing else. His book is perfect. It's complete. It's everything that we need. So when we look at the program here and the actual prophecy, what are these 70 weeks of years all about? Are you ready to dive in? Have I lost anybody yet? Are we still all there? Everyone's still awake? Anybody? Peter, are you asleep yet? No, Peter's still awake. All right, we're in good shape. All right, let's go a little bit further here. And so let's dive in under this letter A. We see the commencement of the count. That time clock, it's a 490-year span. When does that clock start? Verse 25 tells us. Look at what verse 25 says. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. All right, so let's add that up real quick. You got seven weeks of years there. You have three score, which is 60, right? So 60 and 7 is 67, and you add two. You have 69 weeks, right? How many weeks are in this prophecy? 70. So 69 up to the Messiah, the chosen one, right? So what starts this clock turning? It says right here, look at what it says there. It says, from the command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. That's when this clock starts. So if we look in the Bible at 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter number 1, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that's when the first of three decrees was given. The last one was given by Artaxerxes in 444 B.C. Now, some of the facts I'm giving you right now, I am not smart enough to add all this up. I'm going to give credit to whom credit is due. And if you say, I just don't know if this adds up, then you go figure it all out for yourself. A great book to read is H.W. Hausner's book, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. Chronicle um, Aspects of the life of, life of Christ. And so he added it up and said that around March 21st, 444 B.C. is when the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem. Now you might say, well, okay, so it was given then. So the Bible tells us that 69 weeks of years was accomplished. That is 483 years, because there's one seven-year period left. Now something you've got to realize. Did you know that the biblical calendar is different than our calendar today? The biblical calendar didn't have 365 days and a leap year. They went 360 days. So if you take 360 days, you take that for a year, and you take 360, and you multiply that by 483, you come to 173,880 days. So if you were to do the math from March 21st, of 444 B.C. and times it by the 483 years, those 360 days, it would get you to March 30th of A.D. 33, which would be the day that we celebrate Palm Sunday and Christ entered into Jerusalem. Exactly. You might say, well, it was 
456. Okay, well, you take 483 years, and it literally adds up from the time the decree was given to Jesus entering into Jerusalem that many days. That's pretty awesome when you take time to think about that. You might say, I just don't know if that's all true. I believe God knows exactly what he's doing, and if it says it, I go with his dates there. And you might say, well, the, the date could have been a little bit off. It's 483 years. So we see this. See it here. The clock started at that time. No, uh, no, letter B is the coming of Christ. So look at what it says. It says, so the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, which was, which hadn't happened yet, and the walls, even in troublesome times. And after threescore and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. So you see the seven weeks, then you see the threescore, the two weeks. So we see the Messiah is going to come. We see, letter B, the coming of the Christ. The Messiah was the anointed. Christ means the anointed one. We believe and we know, according to the Bible, that Jesus is the anointed one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah that they were waiting for to come. And he came. And as we look here and we look at these things, we see the Messiah came. The clock started. The Messiah comes. Letter C, we see the crucifixion on the cross. This is 450 to 500 years before it ever happened. Look at verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So we see the crucifixion right here. Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, verse number 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Look at what it says. For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. The Bible prophesies right here, Daniel was given this from Gabriel, from God, that the clock would start when the decree was given, the Messiah would come, and at 69 weeks of years, the Messiah would be cut off. He would die. But look at what it says about the Messiah here. In verse 26 there, it says, but not for himself. The Messiah didn't die because he was a bad person. The Messiah didn't die because he had sin. The Messiah died because he took our place. You see that right there? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He died for us. That's why he died. 69 weeks of years have been accomplished. But when the Jews refused their king, the clock stopped. 69 weeks of years has been accomplished. There is one week of years left. That's a seven-year period. What's seven years long? Oh, the tribulation. Oh, yeah, right? So the tribulation has to happen so that all the prophecies can be complete. So that sin can be made an end for. So that we can be reconciled to usher in everlasting righteousness. And Jesus did that when he died on the cross. So now the prophecy's got to be sealed up and finished, which 
this has to happen. And then you got to anoint Christ, and that's everything. So we're waiting on the last couple to happen. But when Israel refused their king, we have no king but Caesar, the clock stopped. And as we look there, we look at number four, we see the collapse of the city. Look at what it says in the rest of verse 26 there. It says, And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined. The collapse of the city, when we look at that, you see some phrases mentioned through there. The prince that shall come, referring to the Antichrist. The people of the prince is referring to the Romans and the Roman Empire. We could talk more about that in the book of Revelation, the city that sits on seven hills. There's a lot there that we could go through. The Bible said, though, that the city of Jerusalem, the city and the sanctuary would be destroyed. What did Jesus say last week that we looked at when he came out of the temple? Not one stone's going to be left in this place. 500 years before it happened, and a good 30 years, 40 years before it happened, Jesus prophesied the same thing. In 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. Just as the Bible said it would happen. Just as Jesus said it would happen. So we see there are 490 years. You have the Jews... And you have a Jerusalem. We see the purpose behind it. To end sin. To reconcile man. <clears throat> to establish everlasting righteousness. To end the prophecy completely. And to anoint Christ as king. The way it's going to work is, when the decree was given, for that the Jews could go back and rebuild Jerusalem, the clock started on those 490 years. 483 years, 69 weeks of those years were accomplished, and the Jews refused their king, and the clock stopped. God's not done with the Jews, but he said, you're going to sit over here for a little bit. I'm going to destroy the temple. I'm going to destroy the city. Why was the temple Why was the temple destroyed? There was no more need for a temple. The sacrifice was made, the ultimate sacrifice. There's no need for a temple, and you know, someday... There's going to be another temple. You know we're real, real close to the end when there's another temple. But we'll get there in a minute. Don't want to jump ahead. Where are we at on time? Oh, we're doing great. So what time is it? We're doing great. Anyway, so let's finish up here. Have I lost anybody yet? We're grounding. We're getting close to the finish line here, okay? So the next thing that we see is after the collapse of the city, we see the calling of the church. The end of the verse says, None to the end, wars and desolations are determined. And there is an undeterred, there's an amount of time that the Lord uses the church and called the church. The Bible talks about in the book of Romans. For sake of time, we won't go there. And if you've heard my messages in Romans, I've gone through these verses. The book of Romans makes it clear that the Jews themselves are blinded to the truth of God. That doesn't mean that individuals don't get saved, because they do. But as a whole, they're blinded until the fulfillment of the Gentiles is complete. There's going to come a day when the Lord says, church, it's time to come home. The trump's going to sound. We meet the Lord in the air. He does not come all the way to earth. We meet the Lord in the air, and we're forever with the Lord. 
and after the tribulation time, we come back with him. We don't know when that time's going to end. We live in the church age today, and someday it's going to end. We go to letter F. We see the confirmation of the covenant. What leads to the end? So I said 69 weeks of years are accomplished, right? There's one set of weeks left to go, seven-year period. So look at verse number 27. We're almost done. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. He, the Antichrist, will confirm the covenant one week. The Antichrist is going to sign a treaty with Israel that they will have peace in the Middle East. But let's be honest, there will be no true peace till the Prince of Peace comes. This is a fake symbol of peace because he's coming as Christ, hence the Antichrist. Get it? All Satan wants to do is be Christ. That's what he wants. So what kicks off that last seven-year period? The signing of the treaty between the Antichrist and Israel sets it off. And as we look here and we see these things, you say, who's the Antichrist today? I don't know. You don't know either. Everyone has their speculations and all this other stuff. I heard someone the other day, and they were like, and I'm, I'm just, this is what someone told me. Like, you know, um, that guy in Ukraine, Zelensky, did you know he's got Jewish background to him? And people like him, and he's doing, he could be, he could be the Antichrist. I'm like, oh, people, everyone tries to guess these things. You could be the Antichrist for all I know. I could, no, I, I'm saved. I'm not where I'm not. And I hope you're saved, and that's not you. Is the Antichrist alive today? I don't know if the, the Antichrist is alive, but there are many Antichrists out there everywhere that are roaming around that have been for a very long time. But what starts that last seven-year period? The confirmation, the signing of the treaty with Israel. Look at what the Bible says. Look at our verse here. It says, In the midst of the week, so in the middle of that week, three and a half years into the treaty, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. In the midst of the tribulation, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to walk into the temple, which means the third temple's coming. The Jews are going to have another temple. I've heard that all the furniture is ready for the third temple. They just need the temple. When the temple's here, you know we're getting real close. The temple's coming, and Israel's going to go back to sacrificing like they did Old Testament style because they don't get it. In the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years in, the Antichrist is going to walk into the temple. The guys, there's no more need to sacrifice. He's going to have a blow to his head and live. He's going to make it seem like he's the real deal. There's no more need to sacrifice because I am the Messiah. That's the abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist claims to be Christ in the temple. God's not going to take very kindly to that one. But that's all that the devil's ever wanted. You know what the devil's always wanted? He's wanted his moment of fame as God. I want to be greater than God. The last three and a half years of the tribulation, none of it's going to be fun. 
the last three and a half years, the wrath of God is poured out on earth. And we see, is there one more letter up there, Joe? See letter G, we see the completion of the count. The very end, there will be a battle that takes place. The battle of Armageddon. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Christ will rule and reign. And then, during that thousand years, there are still some that don't believe in him completely. How does that? I don't, I don't get that one. There will be those that fake it. Oh, there's probably those that fake it today, but anyways, we won't go there. One last time, Satan will be cast out. Then death and hell will be delivered up to the great white throne judgment and will be judged. And those that, are, that don't know the Lord will be sentenced to hell forever with the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. And everything is finished.